We're going to talk a little bit about Christian communications. Um, it's going to be pretty topical this morning, and we're going to spend some time in the book of James. James has a lot to say about the tongue and taming it and all those kind of things. I did want to first put a disclaimer up here. My family's in the back, so I must do this. Today's speaker makes no claims, promises, or guarantees about his personal consistency in applying these Christian communication best practices as outlined in the following presentation. That is, don't judge the message by the messenger. Okay? So when you've got your parents here, you've got your wife and your kids, it's hard to get away with much. Um, I did prepare a little video, and uh, Stephen, we're going to do a little uh, IT wizardry, right? Switch over to your machine. Um, Byron, could you dim the lights down a little bit? And Stephen's going to run a little, couple, three little videos with some examples of bad communications. All right, thank you, Stephen. So I tried to, I tried to get a little shot at everybody there in that, uh, you know, in that uh, first video. What was the problem? Yeah. Callous words coming out of his mouth without thinking, right? The second video, the USS Montana, what was the problem with that one? Didn't have all the information, right? Pretty cocky with, with not all the information. And, the, and then the last one, I don't even know where to start with that one. That was some, some uh, marital dysfunction and, and uh, all sorts of stuff going on there. So anyway... I thought those were good. So here's a pop quiz to get started with. And by the way, it was funny. We were praying before the service, and my friend Doug Smith said, Bless Marcus and the PowerPoint that I know he'll have. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know me, I, I was born and raised an engineer, and I'm, I'm recovering from that, but uh, not completely. So thank you, Doug, for blessing my PowerPoint. So... What is communications? This is a little bit of a rhetorical quiz. Stephen, which do you think is the right one? C. C. Shared understanding. Correct. Correct. And, and the challenge for me is I tend to want to live on A, right? About 90% of the time. Maybe if I'm lucky, I'll get a little bit of B in there. But ultimately, our goal. And, and the reason we're talking about communications is you know, it, it pervades everything we do. If we're, we're to go out and disciple, to share, to love on others, so on, it's just overwhelmingly through our mouth that we do that. And so we just, we have to master it. Okay. So uh, Matt has alluded to this a few times. We've had a, a few wonderful elder retreats this last year. And one of the things we've really talked about is that, that what is our purpose as Christians, as CCF, and so on, and you've heard Matt talk about this, but it's to glorify the Lord. And Terry Smelser, I, I was listening to you pray this morning, and you use that phrase multiple times. Ultimately, that's what it's all about. That's a great gut check for what we're doing as individuals, as groups, uh, as communities, as are we glorifying the Lord. Now, how do we do this? Well, through love and obey. If you read the book of John, you love me, you obey my commands. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Love others, obey, right? It, if we can just get those two things <laughs> mastered, good luck, then, uh, then we're, on, we're on to the path to glorify the Lord. And where does communication fit in? Well, 
we're going to take a look at the Word. So I'm going to ask everybody, if you brought a Bible, to pull it out. If you don't have one, you have three options. You can grab one from underneath a chair. You can share with somebody, or you can just use your memory because you've memorized the whole Bible. So those are your three options. And actually, you can use your smartphone or whatever, but I'd really encourage you to, to try to look at the Word as we're doing this. I'm going to allow you to cheat because I do put some of the Scripture up here for you. Okay? We're going to go to James chapter 3. So that's in the, what, the last third of the New Testament back there. And uh, for those of you who may uh, be new or uh, have not read the book of James, James most likely was Jesus' half-brother. And pretty prominent guy, prominent in the early church. Uh, and he was one of the people that Christ appeared to after the resurrection. Paul spent some time with him, and he refers to him in many of his letters. And I brought a little... Anyone know here know who Ray Steadman is? Well-known guy. Peninsula Bible, Peninsula Bible Church in Palo Alto. How far is Palo Alto from San Diego? Okay. Well, I guess Matt won't stop by there then. Way down there. But this is a uh, my parents gave me this adventuring through the Bible. It's a great... So if you're, if you're new to the faith, this is great because it's kind of a Cliff Notes version of Scripture. And uh, the way Ray Steadman says is, the book of James, far from being an epistle of straw, which refers to something else he was talking about, is the practical application of all the doctrines that Paul sets forth on faith. James is where the rubber meets the road. James is where our faith is expressed in tangible ways through our actions. This epistle is indispensable to our understanding of what our faith is all about and how the Christian life is supposed to be lived. Properly understood, this is one of the most powerful, inspired, life-changing books in the Bible. It's the roadmap for the walk of faith. So I'm going to grab mine here. And I did get Karen's pseudo-permission to put a picture of her in here. So... James 3.3, 3. bear with me here. So this is where James chapter 3 starts, t- the title of it in my NIV version is called Taming the Tongue. So it's, he gets right to the, the subject matter here. And uh, the first two verses in James, he talks about the danger of being a teacher. There's a lot of accountability there. And then verse 3, he dives in, he says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as a... Oh, I'm not going to do ships yet. So that's Karen and Smokey. And it was... Was it this week you were telling me about the Umatilla Rim Trail? So I don't know if any of you have been up to the uh, Umatilla Rim Trail up by Tollgate. It's about 10 miles long. It's a great single track. Hikers, bikers, motorcyclers, horses, so on. And there's some creek crossings in that. And Karen has more than a few stories of horses not really appreciating having to walk through a creek, right? And she was up there, and Smokey was having, trying to have his way going through this creek, and Karen had to really use that bit and make him back up into the stuff that he didn't want to be in so he can get used to it and go. So it's amazing how that small piece of metal in the right place, in the right situation, can steer. How, how much does a horse weigh? 900 pounds? 1,200 pounds? It's a big animal, and all it takes is that bit to get it to do what you want it to do. You guys recognize this, any of this boat here? 
we got a little, we got a tidewater contingent here in our church. And uh, in James 3, 4, it says, Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Um, I was looking online at the Tidewater website, and it was saying these things were two, three, four thousand horsepower, something like that. And uh, Pat, what kind of tonnage is on something like that lower picture where you've got? I know I'm not only to put you on the spot, but I mean, how much weight are these things trying to push up the river? Fourteen thousand tons. Yeah. Um, are there ever? Uh, waves, wind. <laughs> yeah, and and it was interesting. I was looking online and I couldn't tell, but uh, do these tugboats have rudders or propellers that turn? Rudders and propellers. Well, okay. You're right, they rotate, but they don't change their angle like this, right? So are there backup systems for the rudders? On some. On some. Hopefully the ones you're driving, right? Piloting, excuse me. Um, it's a big deal, right? You got 14,000 tons, you got two, three, four thousand horsepower, and you've got a rudder, and that's what determines what's going to go on out there. A lot of responsibility, and it's all contingent upon that that small piece of equipment back there behind the propellers. There's a reason Paul used that example. Let's read verses five through six. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set, what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I mean, that's some pretty intense stuff right there. Uh, referencing, you know, uh, being itself set on fire by hell. And I don't have a, a San Diego Chargers cup like Matt, so I'll use that for that. Whoa, maybe not. So it's interesting why the reference to fire. And um, any of you know who William Barclay is? So he's a, a Scottish New Testament expert, and he has written some excellent uh, resources on the books of the New Testament. And this is, I've, been, I've gotten these for my birthday and Christmas and other things. I'm, I think I still have a few, hint, hint, <laughs> slots that are missing. But um, it's interesting to see what Barclay says, because what he talks about is why, why, did, why does Paul use an analogy with fire? And he says for two reasons. One is that it's wide-ranging, and the other is that it's un- uncontrollable. And I want to read you what he says. A man can ward off a blow with the hand, for the striker must be in his presence. But a man can drop a malicious word or repeat a scandalous and untrue story about someone whom he doesn't even know or about someone who stays hundreds of miles away and cause infinite harm, right? So that's the power of the tongue is you can hurt somebody you don't even know, not in their presence, what have you, with it. And then the second reason he he talked about an analogy to fire being appropriate is that it's uncontrollable. And Barclay says, let a man before he speaks... Remember that once a word is spoken, it is gone from his control. And let him think before he speaks, because although he cannot get it back, he will most certainly answer for it. And we're going to talk about that answer for it in a little while. 
But have, have any of you tried to uh, get an email back that you sent? Or somehow rewind time and take words back that have escaped? Or a letter you put in the mailbox or whatever, or a text that's gone out? Once it's gone, it's gone. So I think Paul uh, was very accurate when he used this analogy of a fire. It can be wide-ranging, and once it's done, it's done. There's no going back. We were down camping uh, about 20 miles uh, east of Ukiah. I don't know if you know where Ukiah is. You go Pendleton, Pilot Rock, Ukiah. Hang a hang an east, and we went. We were down there with about half a dozen families and having fun. And actually, when we went through there, I was amazed. the 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 fire meter there in Ukiah Forest Station was only on moderate, which is amazing given how hot it's been. But um, there's a high level of danger with the fire that our tongue can produce. And what we're going to talk about in a little while is. When it's up there in that extreme danger zone, it's often reflective of a heart condition, right? And I'm not using heart condition in a medicinal way. Um, it, it's, are, are we in tune with the Lord? And I, I, I certainly find that in my life, it, there's a very direct, Doug, I could draw a nice engineer graph for you, but there's a very strong correlation between my heart condition, my relationship with the Lord, and the words that come out of my mouth or the thoughts that are in my head. I'm sure I'm the only one. Taming the tongue. Let's read verses 7 and 8. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Anybody recognize that picture at the bottom? Ralphie! Ralphie! Movie Christmas story. (laughs) So what had happened is they're out on the playground... They're talking smack, and uh, the kid on one of the kids says, "Well, it's just a common known fact that if you put your tongue on a cold pole or metal, it'll stick." And the kid on the left said, "No way, no." So they get into their "I dog dare you," and then I, they, he jumps to "Triple dog dare you," which is a breach of protocol, right? But uh, so the kid on the left ultimately had to answer the triple dog dare and put his tongue on the cold pole. And right when it got stuck, and I mean, he's trying to pull it. It looked like it was eight inches long when he's trying to pull it off of there. The bell rang and everybody ran back to class and he's out there. And later you see the fire truck show up and he's got a, you know, a Band-Aid tied around it and he's crying and in class and so on. But there was just a lot of tongue wagon going on on the playground and when that happens and when you get up to triple dog dare right trouble can happen okay this is a little bit longer excerpt so let's read 9 through 12 with the tongue we praise our lord and father and with it we curse men who have been made in god's likeness out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing my brothers, this should not be. We can't both fresh water, excuse me, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So what James is talking about here is how the heck, as Christians and as brothers, can we at one time say something positive and at the same time say something negative out of the same 
mouth. I found this picture. It seemed appropriate for what happens sometimes. Which side of my mouth am I going to use? And I'm a big fan of uh, Romans. I think it's a great book because it represents a lot about Paul's mature thinking, I think, later in his life. And he said a couple things in there that talked about what was going on. First one is, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. So you kind of have to follow. He's got a lot of quadruple negatives or whatever it is in there. But he just can't manage it, right? He can't do the stuff he wants to do and stop doing the stuff he doesn't want to do. And, and later in the same chapter, he says, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Well, I don't think Paul's alone there, right? It's, there are times when some words will come out of my mouth. I'm like, what the heck? Where did that come from? Well, and as we're going to talk about later, it's a heart condition, right? So what do we do about this? Well, spend some time in the Word. The answers to all that are right in Scripture. And Scripture tells us why it's happening, how it happens, and what the solution is. Worship and prayer, a lot of time in prayer. Matt is a big, big, big time advocate for prayer as much as possible. Um, And fellowship. And fellowship with brothers and sisters that have uh, permission to get to know us. And, when appropriate, to give us loving feedback. And that's very difficult. It's risky. It can be painful. It's scary. But that's one of the beauties of being intimate with a group of people who have the same beliefs and the same values is, do we have permission to give each other feedback in love? Okay. So about 20-plus years ago, three of us started a company called Cascade Energy. And uh, this was in Portland. And uh, we've grown a little bit. We have about 100, 110 people right now in the company. And uh, I'm no, I haven't done engineering for probably seven or eight years. I get the joys of learning how to reinvent myself as a leader as opposed to a, to a, a project engineer. And uh, engineers, right, right up there with uh, other categories of, of employment, engineers are the butt of many a joke. And much of it's well-earned. And so I'm, I have a joke for you. Do you know the difference between an introvert and an extrovert engineer? An introvert looks at his shoes when he talks to you, and an extrovert looks at your shoes when he talks to you. <laughs> so out of the 100 people in the company, we have about 60 engineers. And <clears throat> what we realize is what really differentiates engineers is not their technical skills. You can find great engineers, train them to do it. But it's their ability to communicate well, to collaborate, to lead, all those things. So when we hire, and almost all of our training within the company, given that we are an engineering company, is about how to teach an engineer to not look at shoes, but to look at you, and to communicate well. Okay? And we had a, a great gentleman named Dave Horsiger come to one of our company meetings. And he, uh, he's a graduate of Bethel University. He's a brother in Christ. And uh, he wrote a book called The Trust Edge, and it's about the importance of trust. And this is a business book, and it talks about the importance of trust with your staff, your customers, so on. But uh, he, he had a great table in there, and given that he's a brother, I feel it's okay to put this table up here. 
In the middle of his book, he talks about, are you magnetic or are you repellent? And he provides this table here. And magnetic traits on the left, are you grateful or are you thankless? Are you a good listener or do you do all the talking? Do you talk about ideas or do you talk about people? You see the positive side or are you a complainer? Are you optimistic or pessimistic? Do you encourage or are you critical? And last but not least, are you honest and real or do you exaggerate? Right? And these tie in, I think, very, very closely with a bunch of the communication-related things that James talks about in, in chapter 3. And we actually reference this table periodically at the company. Every Friday, I write the entire company uh, uh, a letter to basically tell them what's going on, what's our strategy, um, kudos to some people within the company, customer highlights, but also we talk about our values and we, we share this table quite regularly to remind people and to have them be self-reflective about it. So here's my question. <clears throat> what fraction of our relationship challenges... That's funny. What fraction of our relationship challenges is associated with communication issues? Anybody? 95? Very, very high, right? It is at the root of a massive amount of my personal failures, um, conflict, what have you. It's just the words that come out of my mouth. So some things to think about. Number one, do we ever give ourselves a pass while expecting much from others? Everybody else is annoying, right? Everybody else is selfish. Everybody else is this. And, boy, I am really good about minimizing mine or ignoring mine, my planks in my own eye, right, and focusing on, on what's annoying about others. I got a little clue for you. We're all annoying, every one of us. And if you don't think you are, there's other things we need to talk about as well. <clears throat> Is it possible to be unaware of our personal shortcomings regarding communications? What do you think? Yes. Yeah. Sometimes unknowingly, and I think sometimes consciously, I just choose to ignore my own and focus on, if, you know, if, if others will get theirs straightened out, everything will be fine. <coughs> Hasn't worked so far. And last but not least, are we open to loving feedback about our shortcomings? That's a rough one. It's a rough one. I don't like to hear it. And the idea that I would actually ask for it, hey, what's the one thing that I could do to communicate better and hear it, not explain, not make excuses, not turn it around, but just hear it and apply it. I think it's a powerful thing if you can pull it off. So I actually talked on Christian communications uh, back in 2011. And uh, when I I did that, I found an awesome, awesome article by a guy named Randy Acorn. I put a very small, faint credit to him at the bottom, so there's a chance you'll think it's me, but it's actually Randy. (laughs) And uh, he he laid out ten biblical principles. So I want to share these with you, and then I want to take some time and go through them. The first one is, listen before I speak. Listening is critical, critical, critical to Christian communications. Number two, do I do all the talking? Number three, do I think before words spew forth from my mouth? 
Number four, make my words timely and appropriate. I'll show you some examples of that. Don't be overly sensitive. Am I the only person in the room with skin that's a little thin at times? Okay. Speak the truth. Say what people need to hear. Use words that edify, that lift up. Number nine, acknowledge the source of my words, which is my heart condition. And number 10, remember, everybody gives an account for words and actions at some point. So actually, you can set your Bible down or close it, because what we're going to do is I want to touch on each one of these just briefly and make sure that we all see that it's a concept that's truly supported by Scripture. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I feel. What does Scripture say about it first? Right? So the first one, listen before speaking. There's a lot of proverbs associated with uh, uh, good communications. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and shame. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And the last one, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I think that particular verse in James is outstanding. There is so much embedded in that. So why do we struggle with listening? Anyone? Because it's not about us. Thank you, Lori. What was that? Self-focused. Awesome. Yeah. Very, very, very difficult to be a good listener. And... Being a good listener is tied in with being a good interviewer. Are the majority of the things that come out of my mouth ending with a question mark, or are they ending with something else? And a high ratio of question marks, open-ended questions and so on, puts you in that listening mode so that you can have shared understanding and not just pushing to make sure they understand you. Don't talk too much. I like to talk. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. I want to be wise. (laughs) A man of knowledge uses words with restraint, and a man of understanding is even-tempered. Restraint and even-tempered. And last, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding, (laughs) but delights in airing his own opinions. So, I think I know a lot. I think I've got pretty high fraction of the answers. Been around a whopping 51 years. What else is there left to learn? <laughs> Quite a bit. And what, what, I'm, what I'm recognizing, I think this is what you see from Paul, and I think you see in, in his latter letters, is he's just reflecting, right, on maybe some of the ways that he communicated. Um, well-intentioned zeal that may have misfired at times. Um, you know, when there was some parting of ways with people and that they reconnected later. So understanding is requires not talking too much. Think before speaking. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Great image there. He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. I do not want calamity. 
And if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Again, James had some great stuff in chapter 1. If he can't control his mouth, his religion is worthless, right? Um, If you find yourself... Well, there's nothing wrong with silence, right? Silence is a great tool. If you find yourself linking words and sentences with ums and ands and so on because you want to keep rolling, you're probably not thinking about what's coming out of your mouth. It's okay to slow down. It's okay for silence. It's okay for each sentence to stand on its own. Timely and appropriate. A man finds joy in giving an apt reply and how good is a timely word. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Any of you have seen there's a commercial where there's a young couple, and they're sitting at a nice dinner, and it's clear it's like he's got a ring, or he's going to tell, somebody's going to say they love each other or whatever, and they're sitting there, and the young lady says, I love you. Clearly, it was the first time she'd said that. And he just sits there and looks at her. And finally, she throws her napkin down and walks out. And finally, he goes, I love you too, right? And the whole thing was this, the timing is critical, the response. So when somebody's hurting, what's the right word to say? When do you say it? How do you say it, right? These are things that we have to think about carefully. Now, thin skin. I have relatively thin skin at times. I don't know if anybody else does in here, but sometimes I take things personally. And Ecclesiastes has something to say. Uh, Anybody in here, who was the likely author of Ecclesiastes? Solomon. They think this was later in his life, and he was reflecting on what's really important, what works, what doesn't work. And he said, Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your, your servant cursing you, for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others, right? I think it's very difficult to go through life with thin skin and not acknowledge when we're speaking poorly about others and then t- taking great offense when somebody speaks poorly about us. Speak the truth. This starts as, with, as young kids, right? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who pours out lies will not go free. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. Kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value a man who speaks the truth. I I know that when we're hiring people at Cascade, I want people who will speak the truth. It's very, very important. I'll tell you, it's very difficult to interview and know if that's what somebody's made of. Because really, you're interviewing for values, right? Are you a truth teller? Are you an honest person? Do you speak with apt words? Now, can gossip be truth? Gossip can be truth. Uh, My definition of gossip is you're speaking something negative about somebody, and it may be truthful. Well, it, it is truthful, and that person's not there, and you're spreading bad information about them. And 
Scripture's got a lot to say about gossip. And I, and I find that either in my head or it, words coming out of my mouth, the minutes a words, words are coming out of my mouth and they're, they're negative about somebody, that's gossip. It's hurting them, and it's hurting them from afar, right? Remember Barclay talked about you can hurt somebody clear across the continent by negative words. Slander, to me, is you're saying negative things about somebody, and they're not true. You're just trying to damage their reputation. And neither of those have any place in our Christian walk. Okay. Number seven, say what people need to hear. He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. Flattering is easier, right? Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. It's uh, Paul talking to the church at Ephesus. And if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. I would, I would encourage you to read Matthew 18. It's a very, very powerful chapter. Um, we refer to it regularly when we talk about how do we approach somebody that might have a problem with some sin. And uh, it's, uh, it's the, the right way to do it. Use words that edify. There, let us therefore take every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Can somebody give me an engineer's version of what edification means? Build up? You bet. You bet. We, we engineers try to avoid multi-syllable words if all possible. So that was a big one for me. And you'll notice that was in Romans chapter 14. That's some Paul late, late life wisdom. For even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down, I will not be ashamed of it. In many, many, many of Paul's letters, he talks, he immediately kicks off the letter by building up the audience. Man, we're so pleased with you. We're so proud of you. Look at what you've accomplished. Then he lays into him, but then he comes back and he's nice again. Okay. Um, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Right? Thessalonians. Again, encouragement. How many of you have a shortage of critics? How many of you have a shortage of critics? And I think it's true for everybody else out there. There's plenty of armchair quarterbacks. There's plenty of critics out there. I think we have a shortage of, of encouragers, people to lift up, and so on. Okay? This is a big passage from Ephesians, but it's got a lot buried in it, and it has a point I want to make about how to get rid of things. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we do this stuff. With whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. And as you can see, I highlighted this. How the heck do you do that? He's telling them, get rid of it. Do you go to the store and buy a solution and rub it on your head? You know, what do you do? That's a hair joke for those of us that are getting older. What do you do to get rid of it? Okay, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute. Now, the heart is a source. We have to acknowledge that when words come out of our mouth, it's tied to our heart condition. 
For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is New Testament. This is not Proverbs now or Psalms. This is, this is New Testament. But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make man unclean. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. There is a direct pipeline between our heart and our brain and the piece of it that makes words come out of our mouth. And I think if we deny that there's a strong link there, we're living in a fantasy world, right? The idea that we could have negative words come out of our mouth about somebody, but our heart condition, our relationship with the Lord's in the right place, seems to me to be pretty far-fetched. And then last but not least in this list of 10 points, there's a component of accountability. And this is, this is very serious. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Every one. Serious business. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. So not just the words, the actions, our thoughts, everything. We're going to be held accountable for those things. For we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while the body, whether good or bad. Okay. So, are we forgiven? Are we saved? Yes. Do we have to answer for it? Yes. There's all sorts of, I'm not sure if dichotomy, it's dangerous when engineers use big words, so dichotomy, thank you, Betty. Try to use it in the right context. Is, Is Jesus fully man and fully God? Yes. Does he know the past and the future? Yes. Did he die and did he rise? Yes. There's always examples of where there's things that in our mind are are seemingly mutually exclusive, but they're not. And in this case, are we saved? Are our sins forgiven? Yes. Are we going to have to answer for what we did? Yes. It's not an or, it's an and. We need to keep that in mind as words come out of our mouth. So, as you can guess, the heart is the matter. So, what fraction of the words that come out of our mouths are we responsible for? 100.000? Okay, not 99, not 95. What fraction of our words reflect the condition of our heart? 100.000 again. And these are, these are called rhetorical questions because I don't know. <laughs> Do our words to others reflect our relationship with the Lord? It's all tied together, right? When you're having conflict with somebody, you're having conflict with the Lord at the same time. Can somebody tell me with a context of Psalm 51? What event was that referring to? Gary, you remember? Yeah. It, and killing Uriah and having the prophet. So David saw Bathsheba said, ooh, I want her. So he sent her husband to the front, knowing it was dangerous, and he got killed. And uh, luckily the prophet Nathan came in and gave David a little what for and, and, and said, you're the man, right? 
And so Psalm 51, David is uh, thinking about this and trying to communicate to the Lord. And he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Sounds like a song, does it not? And he also says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. So I'm just curious, who in here wants to be broken? Anybody? How about contrite? How much? How fun is that? Okay? But we, 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 we need to ask for it and seek it, right? So that we can acknowledge the things that we've done. And David's sin, it's been memorialized in Scripture, and it's timeless, but our sin is the same thing. It's just not written down for everyone else to see. Hmm, who could possibly change hearts? Well, it's good to go back to Deuteronomy, and there's some in Jeremiah. The Lord, your God, will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. I will give them a singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will go well for them and for their children after them. Jeremiah, there's a lot of stuff in there about changing hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And Ezekiel as well. So it, our, our communication struggles are a heart issue. And there's one uh, doctor in the house <laughs> for that condition. And this is some of my favorite stuff from Paul. He says, He's pretty hard on himself here. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And again, this is Paul reflecting on the fact that he doesn't do the things he wants to do. He does the things he doesn't want to do. And, you know, you just kind of have to turn it over to Jesus. That is it. It's the only answer. So Jesus is the answer to the heart issue, which is the answer to our communication issue. So some final thoughts. And again, you have to remember the disclaimer. Okay, Don't shoot the messenger for the message. Number one, face-to-face is usually best. You know, in our day of email, texting, Facebook, so on, um, we use electronic medium to avoid face-to-face. And... Uh, it is super critical, even moving forward, regardless of what technology does, that as Christians we are really good about communicating face-to-face with people, especially when there's conflict. We had a, a Peacemakers book that we went through years ago. It was awesome, and it really emphasized face-to-face. And there's a book that we use at Cascade Energy called Fierce Conversations. It's an excellent book, and it just talks about how do you talk to a difficult person or about a difficult topic with somebody. And as Christians, we can stand out from everybody else if we excel at communicating face-to-face with love. I would encourage you to read Matthew 18, and there, again, it talks about going to your brother, taking one with you. It's all face-to-face. It's not saying have three people send an email, right? Or have three people post it on Facebook. Post it on Facebook, it's face-to-face. Slow down, listen, and ask lots of questions. 
Seek first to understand, and that will be a huge step forward. Always surround honesty or truth with love. Okay? Uh, it's easy to say, well, uh, this is uh, the truth of the situation and hit them like a hammer, but it has to be couched in love. That will make a Christian different from everybody else. Always edify, lift up, even during difficulty. Holy smokes, that's tough. How, when you're having conflict, do you edify? How do you lift people up? It takes hard work. Approach good communications as an art to be mastered. Um, I had an extra click there. Make a study of uh, good communication best practices. What does Scripture say about it? Practice. Reflect. Okay, I just had a rough meeting. How did that go? How did my communications go? But ultimately, remember that God is the heart changer, right? It starts with, the, with our relationship with the Lord, a changed heart, and the words come out of our mouth will be better. So I have a challenge for this week. <clears throat> so number one, and you know, if you're interested in, in, well, I'll probably post this and it'll be online. But think back to those ten practices that we laid out. What clicked with you, right? What are the things that you think you can work on, maybe just pick one, right? I need about nine, which is overwhelming, so just pick one and work on it. Also reflect on that magnetic versus repellent uh, comparison. What am I doing as a Christian that repels somebody? Am I being judgmental? Do I do all the talking? You know, what, what is it? Because i got to tell you, if we're to bring people to the Christ and we're repellent, it's not going to happen. The Lord can make it happen despite us, but, man, let's get rid of anything that's repellent so that we draw people to us. This is a tough one. Ask somebody you trust for loving feedback. Are you willing to go to somebody that you trust, they know you well, and say, give me some feedback. How do I communicate? Do I do all the talking? Am I a good listener? You know, tell it. And can you take that, not be defensive, not push back, don't explain, you know, just take it, walk away with it, think about it. Pray for self-awareness and strength. I'm not sure which fraction of my shortcomings I know of <laughs> and which fraction I don't know of, but I think the ones I don't know of is pretty sizable, right? And you're only through feedback from others and being aware of our own communications are we ever going to get better at this stuff? So being self-aware is super, super critical. And then last but not least, you know, make James proud. Live out your faith through excellence in Christian communications. There's, there's a lot of theologians out there that really try to contrast Paul's message about, right, it's through faith, not works. And James, which says, man, if you don't have good works, your faith is dead. It's not an or, it's an and, okay? They both have a place. So, thank you very much. You've survived an engineer PowerPoint. I hope you all have a great week, and I'm looking forward to hearing about some success stories with this challenge. Have a good week, everybody.